This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hi, welcome back to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies talk about international food in the Irish community. This is the first episode of season four, and in case you've forgotten, our podcast episodes come in three delectable flavors. Deep dives, which are explorations into a country's cuisine, staple chats where Dee, May, and I, Blanca, dish out about a topic amongst ourselves, and the third one, conversations with individuals who have been impactful on the international Irish scene. Um, I'm here today in the podcast studio with May Chin and Dee Lafan, and I'm Blanca Valencia. Um, we're very, very excited and honored that we were nominated again for an Irish Food Writing Award for Best Food and Drink Podcast. We should mention that we won that last year. We won We're very proud to say that we won that last year. Uh, And delighted to be a finalist again. I mean, up against some amazing podcasts, also Neighbor Food Podcast and the Whiskey Magazine Podcast. And um, that's banging. Least we forget our podcast studio bros. um, Love their podcast as well. So it's really um, big competition. I suppose. Yeah. So looking forward to that tonight. Uh, stay tuned to find out on our social media if we win. Um, but yeah, I'm delighted to be back for season four. What have you guys been up to over the summer? Any standout um, experiences? I finished my master's in gastronomy Yay! and food studies. Yay! <laughs> I am so happy that giving birth to my thesis was really difficult. And I'm working on a story about how a thesis is like a baby. It sounded like you were in labor for a long time. It was really painful. <laughs> From speaking to you, I don't know, but you may was always like, oh my God, like Blanca sounds like you were definitely it was terrible. having contractions. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, um, you know, it's really when you're having a thesis, everybody shows you their thesis and it's really annoying. It's like people showing you, look at my cute baby. And you're like, is my thesis going to be that cute or is it going to get a good grade? It was, I'm glad it's over, but I really enjoyed uh, doing the master's. I've learned a lot and I'm hoping that I'll be able to use it here in this podcast. Amazing. Um, I'm also, um, Food on the Edge is happening next week. Um, that's the, was it the 17th and 18th Monday and Tuesday of October um, and there's so many amazing speakers, as there always is, for anyone who doesn't know what Food on the Edge is. It's like a chef symposium that's held in Ireland. It was it was started by J.P. McMahon in Galway and they've moved it to Dublin last year and it's there again this year in Airfield Estate. Um, basically, chefs and people in the food industry, not just chefs, are asked to talk um, for 15 minutes on a topic of uh, the future of food. Um, and there's usually a theme. This year, the theme is um, disruption and regeneration. So that should bring about some really interesting talks. And last year we spoke at it. Um, we did it was food and community and social gastronomy. And we spoke and presented at it, which was really great, great fun. Um, so this year I'm interviewing Graeme Hertrich, um, who is talking about his new cookbook, which is kind of his ethos around his whole baking philosophy. And um, for those who you might know him as the cook, Cupcake bloke. Oh, I couldn't spit that out. A bit rusty. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he basically has brought out a cookbook called Bake and it's all about traditional Irish recipes. And then there's ones with a modern twist because that's what Graham is really about. So he's going to be talking about his inspiration, flavors, all that sort of thing. But it's um, kind of really 
the book, even in itself, that type of ethos is kind of a little bit about what we end up talking about here. I think we talk a lot about maybe what's happened in Ireland before and how Ireland has changed here as we all live here. But then with all these influences and all these flavors. And the last news is May. Do you want to share the news about our cookbook? Oh, yes. Um, I was working on a book uh, with two totally strange ladies that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who they are. Um, And uh, yeah, and the three of us wrapped up a cookbook called Soup, which is going to be published by Blasta Books, which is such an exciting publishing venture anyway, which is run by Kristen Jensen. Uh, And... um, it's out, in, it's out in January. January. Yeah. And we're definitely going to do a podcast episode with Kristen. And also um, beautifully illustrated by Nikki Hooper. Oh, my God, yes. <gasps> and designed by Jane Matthews. Yes. It's a beautiful book, people. We have seen it. You can see the cover on our social media and on Blast of Books. Make sure and follow them. And you can pre-order it now. So please do. And we're in great company. Every year she releases one per quarter. So last year there was amazing books. Uh, four of them. And now this year we are with um, the ladies from Las Tapa de Lola, who we interviewed for Vanessa and Anna, Vanessa and Anna, who we interviewed for our podcast. Um, Connor Spacey, who is doing one on food waste. Oh, sorry. Vanessa and Anna are doing one on tapas, tapas I should no. say. Um, Connor is doing uh, Wasted. It's a food waste cookbook. And then we have Richie and Alex uh, from Bahé, Filipino uh, restaurant. And we also interviewed Richie um, for the podcast. So you can check out those episodes if you're interested to find out more. And as I said, you can pre-order all books uh, on blastabooks.com. Okay, so we today we are talking about, drumroll, shopping, <laughs> and not clothes shopping, food shopping. And I have to say that uh, May and I met and bonded over food shopping because we're always asking each other, where can you get this or where can you get that? So today we're going to cover everything you need to know about food shopping in Dublin and in Ireland for the shops that we know outside Dublin. So let's start with what are your favorite shops in Dublin? Like the two shops that you can't live without. Oh, that's easy. Asia Market and Ayla. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us why, May. Tell us why. Um, Asia Market, just um, because it's beautiful, it's organized, it has, um, you know, it has a good Jap- you know, it has a good Japanese selection, has a good Korean selection, has a good Filipino selection. Um, it is in my neighborhood. Uh, and um, no, I would not be able to live without Asian market. And uh, and then Ayla, which um, is a very different shop. It, it has the foods of Turkey. I remember that D did her shopping list on Turkey, but also Blanca, I don't know if you remember for me, Ayla was what brought the three of us together mm-hmm. because Dee had asked me to do some, you know, world cuisine writing and we were eating chudo and you were talking about this shop called Ayla where you could get Turkish pasturma and um, and uh, this condiment which was tahini and grape must. Oh yeah, that's lovely, yeah. So that for me, Ayla is like, that's a shop. 
that for me is the trio. Of These us. are very yeah. exciting shops. What about you, Dee? I have to say, um, I, I was going to say Isla. So now I'm like, do you pronounce it Ayla or Isla? Isla. Have I been pronouncing it wrong all the time? I think I've but, pronounced uh, it No, wrong. who knows? But look, we it's on the Turkish bakery on Cable Street. You can visit A-Y-L-A. Um, and Errol, who owns it. And again, through you, May, I kind of found that. And um, if I'm heading, if I think about it, like I'm now living just outside Dublin, but if I'm coming into the city centre, I always hit up Ayla uh, because they do their, uh, Earl makes his own sujuk, which is the sausage, the beef sausage um, with Turkish kind of spices in it. And you can get a lot of sujuk in any of the international food shops, which is great. It's imported. There's nothing wrong with it. But because it's this is made with Irish meat and then he sends it for processing and they add the spice mix to it. It's just really nice that it's his own recipe and it's his own product. And you'll find them hanging up in the store and you just get one. And I use that for lots of different things. I just really love it. It's like a really smoky paprika kind of beef sausage. Um, and yeah, so Ayla is always the place I go to. The bakery is, I mean... What do you not like in there? There's just so much boric and everything. I just love it. But another shop that I really like as well um, is uh, Cost Costless in Tala. Um, so I discovered this in the last kind of few years and I had heard a lot of people mention it. And until I went out there um, to kind of explore it, I didn't realize how cool it was. And it's actually closer to me now where I live. So I love to go there. It's an international supermarket. Um, and it's huge. Like it really is probably one of the bigger international shops, except for maybe like Asian Market out in Ballymount. You know, it's that kind of, it's really big. Um, and so many, you can get everything from so many different countries in there. They also have an amazing vegetable section, a really big butcher section. They even do wholesale um, meat to some of the restaurants in town. I know some of the world's cuisine or whatever you call them, international restaurants in town. Um, there's a huge African section. I was just going to ask, yeah, is there, um, is there, so, I know you just said it was a huge international, but is there a slant with costless? Like, is there, you know, would there, would there be a cuisine that it focuses on more? Um, I'm not really sure I, if I have noticed if there's genuinely, there's something from every country. Mm. Um, but I guess maybe there's definitely a lot of, um, the, I would say the butcher does halal meats and things like okay, that as yeah. well. So I would say there's maybe a slant towards Middle Eastern countries, but I'm not actually sure. Like you genuinely, there is so much you can get in there. And what I love about it is like in the Asian market, there is a lot of utensils and homeware section. So it's really great um, to get. I think Blanca gave you little glasses, mm, the, the Turkish tea glasses. tea glasses. And, you know, you can just get so many different things there. The meat counter is really good, as I said, but uh, vegetables as well. And um, oils, just like loads of different things, herbs, spices. It's one of those places that if you are exploring food at home and cooking yourself and you need to get some ingredients, this is the place to go to. You're guaranteed yeah. to get it. And they're very helpful. Okay, so can I tell you my shops and one shop, I, I love online shopping <laughs> <So> <laughs> because sometimes I really just don't have time to, to go out. But I have to say, uh, and this is totally Spanish, but I love Vera Foods. Jenny and Damien have done such a great job with importing Spanish products and um, they're in Kilrotary Market, they're in different markets, they're also mm -hmm. online. And 
they're just the people, if, if you ask me, who do you want, like, what people do you want to open a restaurant, like, with? It would be them because they're the type of people you go to their stand and they're so friendly and welcoming and their range. There's so much love and care into the range. And they have those delicious perello olives. They're also importing those lovely potato crisp, quillo. So I really love that shop. And then in my neighborhood in Dunleary, I love Pinoy Sari Sari. And as you know, we're a little bit obsessed with Filipino food and people in this podcast. Yes. But Pinoy Sari Sari, both the shop near Capel Street and the shop in Dunleary, it's they're such good shops. They're so organized. Everybody can answer all your questions. And they have lovely ingredients like plantains, okra. So I tend to go to to the one in Dunleary. They also have um, the the golden ribbon bakery, all oh, the yeah. pan de sal. That's on Dorset Street, I think. Yeah, it's really, really nice shop. And they just have a lot of other products from China or Korea. So those are my... Um, my favorite uh, too. I believe there's a really good Filipino store in Limerick as well. Weren't we, weren't we talking about uh, this? Das, Dasco Deli? Hmm. Yeah, I'm just yeah. looking it up here. Yeah, Dasco Deli. I also think that there's a Pinoy Sorry Sorry in town. Yeah, well. we, we went to on, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. off Cable Street. Yeah. And yeah. I have a really funny story from that because we went in and um, the... I think like the, the, the owner, granny, yeah. the owner who owns it, she's a, an older lady, really, really lovely. And Blanca was showing me around and we were kind of down near the front, near the cash desk. And there's beautiful, um, you know, bakery goods down the front. And then there was um, the eggs in the in the fridge, you know, the, the e- em- embryotic. The Balot. Yeah, is that the name? I, I can never remember the name. <laughs> and I just went, I asked, I was like, oh, is that those eggs? You know, because I've only seen it on TV. And she was like, she doesn't, I don't know, she doesn't speak much English, but she was like, yes, yes, you know, you, you should buy, you should buy for your husband, though, for your husband. And I was like, oh, OK, why? Or she said, for the men, for the men. And I was like, oh, why for the men? And she made this gesture, which I don't know what it was supposed to be. But she was like, you know, for the nighttime, for the nighttime. Oh. And I was like, oh, for men, for the nighttime. What what happens oh. at nighttime? You know, I was just trying to be mess around with her a little bit, but basically I think much like the oyster is to Ireland, the embryotic duck egg yeah. is to Philip. Or male. But yeah, I asked, well, it's just, I asked Richie say, from Bahe and he said he, he adores it. Like it really is a delicacy. But I, I think that's where I have to draw the line. I'm afraid. I think, yeah. but I think with Chinese culture and, you know, this is just yeah. so that we, we used to say, make make him strong. Make him strong. <laughs> this yeah. food, make him strong. <laughs> stamina and stuff. An aphrodisiac. Yeah. Okay. So moving on. This is always May's personal uh, question. She's always like, tell me personally about growing up and food shopping. So Dee, tell us growing up, what did you think of food shopping? Um, So for me, it was, I suppose, um, an interesting experience because um, it was me and my dad that would go food shopping or when my sisters were home at the weekends, we would go with them. But we always went to a local supermarket in Tipperary where I grew up. Um, And much like this supermarket is owned by, you know, there's, it's a super value and it's down the country. They're all owned by, they're franchises. So they're owned by families in the town. And this one is called Bernie's and it's always been called Bernie's and still called Bernie's um, because that's the man, the name of the man who owns it. And we would go down there and like, it was really quite good in terms of, you would get local food in there, local producers in there as well as your supermarket things. But my dad, for us, where I think 
shopping was interesting for me was that uh, our food, how we got food was kind of my dad worked for the Department of Agriculture for like he did for his whole life. And in Ross Gray, there is a lot of factories, meat factories, and we're also famous for our bacon and sausages. Um, <laughs> but um, not that they're, I mean, anyway, whatever. So in the meat factory, that that one is associated with cows with beef. There was a shop, a meat shop that you could go up to. And I mean, those meat shops, I wish they still existed because in the meat factories you would go up and it was it was the off cuts. It was things that they weren't using, you know, in the factory and you could buy them. But you could also get amazing meat in there for like half the price you would pay. So dad would go up there and get, you know, rack ribs or, you know, whatever. It didn't matter. But he would come home with this plastic bag full of meat and we would kind of have that and I think that was amazing um, from our perspective the other thing was living in the country and again with your dad working in Department of Agriculture you know he had relationships with a lot of farmers which sounds weird when I say it out loud but um, (laughs) (laughs) what I mean is they all knew him and um, we would often get deliveries to the house of like a thank you or just for you know for helping throughout the year because if you want to kill an animal in Ireland, you have to get sign off from a department man. And that's what my dad was. So um, he would get, oh, here's half a lamb or half a cow or something. So we would always or some venison. So our freezer was also very much full of meat products from that perspective. We grew a lot of vegetables and there was a vegetable shop in the town as well called Fresh Fields, which had a lot. But there was no farmer's market in Ross Gray. And that was kind of everything else was from the supermarket. How about you, May? I grew up in the Connecticut suburbs, so um, I had supermarkets. And um, I remember we had a stop and shop. Um, And I do remember when our stop and shop became super stop and shop. And even now when I go home, I'm amazed by how immense they're immense these places are. I mean, I love them, right? Don't get me wrong. When you used to do aisle 45 where you can get your Jamaican ginger beer and you just, you're skating around and you can get, you know, stationery and medicine. And, um, but that's how I do remember growing up. And there was always a deli counter um, and the people behind the deli counter were really good at slicing meats. Um, so they were, yeah, they were skilled. Um, and the fishmonger, ditto, um, and the butcher. So, um, and then, you know, as time progressed, obviously, um, we had something called Whole Foods. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> Love Whole Foods. <laughs> we had Whole Foods, and then there would be the local fancy butcher, um, in case you couldn't find what you needed at Super Stop and Shop. And, um, but yeah, that was my growing up. What my, about you, Blanca? My growing up was, I grew up in Central America, between Spain and Central America. So, in Spain, there would be a lot of local markets with the grannies, with the push trolleys that I love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and th- th- there was just a lot of food, like mountains of peppers and, uh, you know, the prickly pear, cactus fruit. It was shopping was exciting, but it was also scary. Whereas in Central America, we never went to the local markets. You know, we shopped locally. So we went to these really sterile supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> they were just so boring. But all my friends that were American uh, and worked for the embassy or for AID had access to the American commissary. So they would buy Betty Crocker and Pringles. And I grew up traumatized that we couldn't go there. So I was always like, oh, my goodness, I want Kraft mac and cheese. And of course, my mom, not my mom, but 
my mom didn't like cooking, but we had somebody who cooked for us and it was lovely food, but I was traumatized. So I wanted to eat from the commissary, but I never got to the commissary, unfortunately. Um, Moving on, we wanted to talk about what are our favorite shops outside of Ireland that we've been the most enamored with. So May, tell us a little bit about what are your favorite shops, fantasy shops. Fantasy shops, I very, you know, um, I'm a I'm a plain girl. So um, one of my favorite shops was when I was living in the 15th arrondissement in Paris. It's they're called um, Le Marché du Sacs, and it's just huge, and it goes on, mm. you know, twice a week. Um, and you can get olives, and you can get fruit, mm. and you can have, you know, your fishmonger, and it's just bustling. And there's a clothes market, you know, and it it feels. I mean, it is the 15th arrondissement, right? So it's fancy-ish, but you know, it feels real. And um, and uh, so I I I really love that. Um, and and then I was also thinking in San Francisco, where I am often at, there is just a stupid what we call Safeway supermarket around the corner from where my brother lives, and it's rated I think the lowest of you know Safeways mm. in San Francisco. It has everything. I mean, again about Asian products. So you go to the ice cream section and there's, you know, two racks of mochi ice creams and, you know, and you can get durian and you can get loads of dumplings. And um, there's this amazing uh, tofu factory in Oakland called, I think, Hodo. And they'll do Yuba and you buy that at the Safeway. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, you can get all the good California cheeses and a roast chicken and you're on your way. And it's, yeah. so um, so I do have a fondness for what we call stupid Safeway in, in the San Francisco <laughs> house. Um, and then actually across the street from stupid Safeway is this amazing, I think it's Puerto Rican, Middle Eastern owned um, farmer's market. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so again, um, so this is where you're getting your tamarslada. You're getting so many beautiful fruits and vegetables, um, loads of fresh cheeses and things. Mm. What about you, Dee? Um, I think in Ireland, for me, one of my favorite places whenever I'm down there is the English market mm. in Cork. Mm. I mean, I just think it has something special about it. Um, and I love going down and just, you know, walking around and seeing all the stalls. And I mean, it's to say this, if anyone is not from Ireland listening to this or living here, you'll be like, OK, a market, what's so special about that? But it's the fact that unfortunately in Ireland, in Dublin in particular, there aren't a lot of markets that you see in other countries. So this is kind of, I think, as close as you can, you know, it is one of those. And it's just such a beautiful building as well. It's really old. It's really beautiful architecture and 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 tiling and and also you can eat there. So there's a, you know farm gate and other beautiful cafes and things off it. But I love to go there and um you know Toonsbridge are there and lots of the, the fishmongers that are there and the meat counters and Hedermans and you know smoked salmon and things like that. So just beautiful, beautiful uh, markets. So that's probably one of my favorite places in Ireland to shop. Um. I have to just mention two other places. One are shopping experiences. One is New York. I mean, everyone knows, I think, that I'm obsessed with New York. But um, when I go there, easily, I just have to hit it up. The last one I went to was the one downtown near the Grand Zero. Um, it's a beautiful building again. And it's just, it's like a mecca. It's just floors and floors of just, you know, 
beautiful posh food. <laughs> can I can I share my Italy um, memories? Oh, Actually, yeah. not to me. I mean, I love Italy, but my friend Diane, who was dating a rather snobbish Frenchman at the time, and she was just very. She's just like, okay, we're going to go on a date in Italy. I will impress him. And so he goes around and he says, oh, this is very nice, Dan. But why would anybody want to eat in a supermarket? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I I just, I became, you can, I just lost time there. You know, there's just, it's, it's shelves of, of everything. And I suppose the closest we have to it in Ireland might be Fallon and Burn, I guess, or something like that. It's along those vibes. Um, But it's just way bigger. And I know that there, I mean, obviously the, the original in Italy and everything, there's amazing um, ones around the world but I loved the one in downtown near Grand Zero and but also an amazing shopping experience I suppose was when I was in Kathmandu in Nepal and it was my first real experience of I suppose food being sold street foods you know being sold that way and um, I'd never been to another um, Asian country like that so um, I just was it was like all the photographs I'd seen, but just when you're there and you're in front of, you're walking on these, you know, dirt streets and the butchers are just in doorways and they're chopping the meat out on the street. And then there's these guys with bikes or with, you know, kind of um, push um, carts that they're selling different fruits, different uh, vegetables, everything. And they're cooking. They might have a little even stove on it as well. It just seems to be this huge kind of thing, but it's all contained in this tiny little cart and it's just piled high with, you know, whether it's whatever type of fruit. Um, And I just thought that for me was a really, really interesting experience of my first time of that kind of Asian street food market type thing. So I really love that. Um, for me, I would say my ultimate fantasy is uh, Le Bon Marché in Paris. Oh, their yeah. food store is so classy, but so mind-blowingly expensive. And their wine cellar is just out of this world. Um, but in terms of markets that are dear to my heart, I would say as an adult, I visited the Mercado Central in San Salvador. Because obviously when I was a little girl, we we didn't go there. And it was just such a beautiful market, the beautiful tropical fruits, the people, the faces. Um, I think I really, when I saw all the people there, I really wanted to just photograph not so much the food, but the people. And it was so beautifully, you know, arranged. And it was a beautiful experience. I went with Steve. He actually wrote a blog about it because Steve used to be a famous food blogger in 2003. And he had a blog called Zarzamora. But anyway, it's a beautiful market. Um, a lot of people don't go there, but those would be, you know, two different extremes. But you can find so much beauty in so many different food environments. People make an effort. Um, uh, you reminded me with Le Bon, bon Marché, but uh, guys, what about fancy, fancy shops? Japan. Japan. <laughs> like I was, saying, I was thinking Fauchon Plus and Japan. Japan so- is insane. Yeah. They wrap like a pea in a little box and they sell it to you. What? Takashimaya. All the, oh. they're called the, how are they called? The, the They have a name. It's not the Pashika, but it's these beautiful food stores where everything is wrapped beautifully. They're really out of this world. And famously, right, you're getting a cantaloupe for $400 or something. Yeah, or like, cherries, yeah. Oh, cherries and they, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll wrap it in a beautiful silk. The only thing I can think of from that perspective is maybe not, well, yeah, it is quite fancy. Is in Berlin, 
there is this chocolate store and it's really famous because they make chocolate art. So they make all buildings and like the Brandenburg uh, gate and stuff out of chocolate wow. in the store and you go in but they it's really expensive chocolate and yeah they, it's a huge store and you can go around and buy very fine chocolate and it is quite expensive as well but um, it's really fun to go in and just see all the different artworks yeah, I've never been to Berlin. It's on my list. Oh, I yeah. know Dee has a brother there. I might go and stay with him. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about etiquette. And I think etiquette coming from Spain, China, America, Ireland, everybody has a different etiquette when it comes to shopping, like jumping the queue, taking a number. So one very annoying thing about Spain is that when you go to a shop, you have to ask, ¿Quién da la vez? And that means who's giving me the turn? So then somebody says, yo, and then you stand behind that person. But if you don't speak Spanish or you don't know it, you kind of miss that. So I've had friends. Who I've shopped in Spain. There. I've never done that. So I must have totally broken a etiquette. In the mar this is more in like a food stall, like in a market, like a bread. So you go in, there's a bunch of people. And if they don't have numbers, because they love Tickets. their numbers in Spain, oh, yeah. then you have to ask, ¿Quién da la vez? <laughs> so my dad, if... If a bakery or a vegetable place don't have that little ticket, he doesn't go in because he doesn't like interacting with people and asking, ¿Quién da la vez? He's like, oh, maybe that lady's going to give me her turn. I don't want to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I can't think of any major etiquette in Ireland if it comes to shopping. But people are so Just polite in Ireland. They're like, mm. excuse me, could I please? In Spanish, like, give me this. <laughs> sorry. No, I think we say sorry for everything in Ireland. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think in supermarkets is pretty, pretty standard. May anything you can sticks out in your head in terms of etiquette? Um, well, I would say that uh, the cliche about um, Chinese markets is that there is no etiquette or you just dive in oh, and, yeah. you know, and maybe there's etiquette, but I was unaware of it. And so, you know, you're just pushing and shoving. And I was... Um, I was remembering this. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the sitcom Fresh Off the Boat. No. Yeah. Right? So it's with Constance Wu, and she is stuck in Florida, and she's looking at the supermarket. She says, I can't. Like, I'm so stressed with these American supermarkets. All I miss is the comfort and the comfort of Taiwan the comfort of Taiwan markets and there's this flash to her like there's a flash to her sort of yanking like vegetables and screaming at like, you know all the women mm. so it's a it's a cacophony I suppose mm. um and but I feel like I may be speaking out of turn there's a lot of Asians going oh my gosh there's so much etiquette, like so many Chinese people going, there's so much etiquette in our markets. And I'm like, oh, I, yeah, that, that's my, that's I, my I was, memory. I of, was pushed a lot yeah. in Dalian. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to be ruthless, but yeah. it's similar to Spain. I found China and Spain shopping a little bit the same. So I just want to take a minute to uh, tell you about another podcast in our network. Um, it's a new podcast and um, I'm delighted to introduce it because uh, one of the women who is doing it is uh, my best friend, Elaine Burke. And it's also with Jenny Darmody and it's called For Tech's Sake. Um, basically, uh, Elaine and Jenny have been writing about tech for like a long time. Um, and now they're talking about it in their podcast, For Tech's Sake, a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. They tackle the good, the bad and the ugly about tech, which is so prevalent in the world today. Um, so definitely tune into that and uh, subscribe if you uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Okay, so the next um, part of our podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about farmers markets and their history, their evolution. What do we think of farmers market? Is this the way the future shopping is the future shopping markets where you're more in contact with the producer? It's definitely the way I prefer to shop. Like, I mean, I think about when you think about a supermarket or supermarket is all about convenience and packaging, but with that packaging, it cuts you off from the producer. And I do find that when I go to markets, you know, just the whole experience that you get is so rewarding um, and being able to get some form of understanding, even being able to, in certain countries, being able to barter or, you know, you know, talk like or haggle for a price or whatever but like I just think it's just such a wonderful experience is it the future I don't know but I do feel that like at a market you are connecting with the producer so therefore you are more likely that producer is more likely to be getting a paid a fair price for their product um, you also get an understanding of the the labor and everything that goes into it because sometimes when you're whether it's a vegetable or anything, and you make a comment, you know, they might say to you, oh, yeah, but of course, you know, the crop wasn't good this year or was good this year or this, is you know, so you kind of get that understanding and that connection. I do feel that connectivity to food is something that is going to, is part of our future, is part of saving kind of food and and the state of the planet in terms of connecting all of us with that process. So from that perspective, it is, um, but farmers markets are obviously a difficult thing to run all year round. And, you know, getting to a farmers market, then if not everything you need in terms of shopping is in that one place, it's not convenient if you are short on time or you have, you know, you're dragging kids around with you and you need to just get the shopping and get home or you have a lot to buy um, and you're on a budget. Um, I can see how that can sometimes come up against it as well. But I do love a market. I think um, one thing that I think um, the Spanish government and all the regional governments have done well, and this is more markets, is they've had they've developed a strategy for all these markets that were full of grannies with their shopping trolleys. I have a shopping trolley because in Spain that's essential. Yeah, I've yeah. always wanted a shopping trolley. I'm going to get a them. Louis Vuitton one. Uh, they did a strategy to rescue these markets that nobody wanted to go to. And they've become a platform not only for, you know, food sellers, because it, it isn't really the the farmer who's there, but it's like a small intermediary, but also a platform for small entrepreneurs. And it's been so successful that I think in Madrid, there's 46 markets and maybe 10 or 15 have become tourist destinations. You know, some people preferred the old model, but the old model was really losing so much ground to the supermarket. So I think that combination of markets and food and farmers markets, where there's spaces like of cultural exchange, you have cooking classes, you have entrepreneurs. I think I would love for Dublin to do that. Yeah, I was going to say also that there should be a distinction between the outdoor market and the farmers market. Yeah, right? yeah. a farmers market is a market where your producers are coming in and they're engaging with the customers. I you know love both. I love both, but. You know, an outdoor market might not be a farmer's market. Yeah. One of the best markets I ever went to was in Montreal. Um, and in Montreal, they have loads of markets, loads of farmer's markets. And they're kind of outside of maybe the central. They do have some central, but they're, you know, and I know in a lot of other countries, it's always a central thing because it's in a city. But these sometimes they actually people, their destination markets that you drive to, 
um, in the burbs and you just go out and they're huge warehouses, like huge, huge warehouses. And inside it's completely set up and organized and you're offered sam- like sampling is a definite thing because they even have these um, almost like tripods with plates on top that you the producers put their samples on pre-cut, you know, that people can you can just take one. And then you walk around and just huge, huge stalls, fruit, vegetables, everything all fresh. Um, And I just found that was incredible. I mean, obviously, you're looking at the volume versus the population and stuff like that here. It would be smaller, but um, interesting to see if something like that would even work here. The last topic I wanted to talk about was the cut price shopping, the Lidl, Aldi, Trader Joe's model. What do you think, May? What do you think of this model? Um, if I was going to leave my morality at the doorstep, I would say I love it. Um, and I was only really, I think I was only really made aware of uh, the problems that an Aldi or Little or Costco or Trader Joe's was Any presenting. It's not just those as well, though. Any of the supermarkets offer yeah. cost or va- our own brand just to say, like, I mean, for any supermarkets or thing, and just say it's all of all of them would os- offer cost cutting. Cost cutting, um, but it it was for me um, learning about what this was doing to the farmers, mm-hmm. right? Because it was so exciting. I remember one of my first years here, you know, to sort of turn on the TV and little is going, oh, we'll give you sixty five cent, like it's like potatoes and carrots, we sixty five cents a kilo, and slowly come to the realization that what was that doing to the farmers and the yeah. the Price drive down. I'm not an economist. I'm also not a moral person. So I don't know whether I can actually talk more about that, but I'm aware. All I will say is that it has always existed. But I think the problem is that it exists more now because of the state of uh, a state, state of living, like the, st- the way things, the way we live now. There's more of a need for more of that. And there, there is more of that. So people are shopping based on budget and price, not on quality or need um, or or uh, necessity or, or like nutritional value. You know, they're, they're, they're driven by price. And I mean, that's also the market has been driven that way. So, I mean, even when I was growing up, obviously we were shopped in a supermarket. There was cost cutting measures there as well. But there was enough of a balance between markets and supermarkets and everything, whereas now you know, case in point, no market in Dublin or no, like even Dublin city centre isn't a place where you go to food shop. It's a place where you go to eat in restaurants and stuff. It doesn't support that. So the system is different. And I think, you know, the demand is different. And that's what's fueling way more of these supermarkets now and those cost cutting measures. But also just to say on that, and I'm quite passionate about this, just like in terms of I, I can't talk. I'm not telling anyone where to shop or, or what we should do. I think everyone should make an informed choice. And that's the thing. People need to be informed about it. Where you choose to shop after that is your own right. But um, we do have a huge crisis in Ireland in terms of uh, vegetables. And if we don't buy what Irish vegetables that can be grown here, we should support and buy. I'm all up for buying imported products if you can't get it here, but like buying broccoli, like you should be buying Irish broccoli when it's in season and the supermarkets should support should support producers in that because I hate to say it, but in five or 10 years, the way we're going at the moment, you won't be able to get vegetables that are Irish in supermarkets at all. We'll have to import everything because the vegetable producers are shutting down 
business because they can't, they just can't, there's no demand, they can't keep up or else the demand is so strange and the price, you know, and everything and the cost of production has gone up. But then we're expected to pay less for vegetables. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only solution is that the price of vegetables has to go up for the consumer. That's and that sounds like a very blanket statement. It's not as simple as that, but I'm just saying we're paying too, we are paying at the moment too less, too less. Too little. <laughs> Great English there, Dee. Sorry, guys. It's early in the morning. Too little for um, for vegetables. Um, I was working on my thesis on geographical indications, which are like PDOs, like Parmigiano, in Ireland, which are like Connemara, Hill Lamb. But one thing that struck me is how the land devoted to vegetable growing has shrunk so much. And that people, there's like, there's no subsidies really when it comes to that. And, and I think this is a problem in America also. But I think, in my opinion, the government should be subsidizing that. It should be, you know, helping those farmers that are growing these products that we should be consuming. And, you know, I understand maybe some consumers don't have the the money to pay for Irish grown vegetables, but definitely the whole country, if we all pitched in, we would have the money. And so, also yeah. on the flip side of that, you have just recently, you know, obviously with we have as a country and a government, we have said that we will meet certain criteria and and targets for it, the environment and climate change and things like that. We're part of that in Europe. So we, you know, they're asking, you know, meat farmers or that we need to reduce our meat production here. But there isn't even an alternative in terms of, you know, like vegetable farming that, as you said, there isn't the support there to support vegetable farmers to help that industry grow. Um, I mean, and, oh, yeah. sorry. No, that's it. Um, I, you know, I was curious, so as a foreigner, I mean, maybe there's just less of a grow for Irish vegetables. Like if you think about Ireland, you think lamb, beef, dairy. Like you don't really go, ooh, and I would love some Irish broccoli. I mean, that's... That for me is Why my foreign. Yeah, I know that, but so I think that sprouts yesterday got very excited. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that might be something that, like, again, if one is, you know, just growing awareness, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, like, I'm just, yeah, it's, I. No, it's potatoes. a really fair point. You know, there's so many things turnips, potatoes. Like, I always compare Ireland to Galicia. Galicia have made the turnip leaf one of their staple ingredients mm. and it's a protected denomination of origin like ireland has all this potential but if we're only cons like producing beef and lamb and it it's it's just you know we're wasting a lot of this beautiful environment and and it's strategically it's also important for ireland to have as many products done here. Yeah. And then there's a knock-on effect of that as well without getting into this even more is just that obviously that's going to affect our health in the end because if we're importing all our vegetables, we're not getting the nutritionally dense products that are born on our, born are uh, born, grown. grown. God, I'm really tongue-tied today. <laughs> but uh, it all comes back to shopping. And I do think that we need to just be informed about when we're going out shopping. And I'm going to get myself a granny basket. Yeah. No, a granny trolley, mate. Maybe trolley. we should make um, Spice Bags branded <laughs> yeah. granny trolleys. I yeah. love those. Okay. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. And for more information about Spice Bags, uh, check us out at Spice Bags uh, Pod. And our website is spicebags.ie. Which we have to mention our shopping guides are on there, guys. Yeah, We've we done shopping guides for different international cuisines. Um, we're going to add more as well. And if you want us to add specific ones, please let us know. Get in touch via whatever platform or email. And um, yeah, check them out. There's ones for Turkey, for uh, China, Philippines, Spain. Spain. Yeah. 
but we're going to add lots more. And one last call out. If any of you want to share a recipe, we've been collecting recipes from our Brazilian, Indian, um, Nigerian friends. So if you have any recipes you'd like to share and we would post them on our website, please um, email us at hello at Yeah. Thank you. And uh, until next time. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.